Welcome to Out of Curiosity. Consider us your field guide for queer pride. You will hear from the best of the best in terms of queer business leaders, queer relationship experts, the activists working to protect us all, and everyday LGBTQ plus people that have figured a few things out so you don't have to. Out of Curiosity is brought to you by the Pride and Joy Foundation. Let's do this. Welcome to Season 1 and Episode 1 of Out of Curiosity. Sincere thanks for taking the time to pick us out out of so many podcast choices. We are so excited to bring you value, share our generational wisdom, and inspire you to live your best life. We kick off this season with the opening keynote from our Pride and Joy Summit, a queer conference we sponsored in May of 2021. The keynote was given by Barry Brandon, pronouns he, her, they, more popularly known as the Queer Indigo. If you're on Instagram or TikTok, chances are you've seen their trademark, superhuman, and badass videos. They've been inspiring people from all over the globe to see themselves walking in beautiful international cities with all the confidence of Queer Indigo. The freedom of expression, the joy and authenticity, the raw power of knowing who you are and your inherent value. You can find it all in these 30 seconds slow-mo videos, and it's brilliant. In his professional life, Brandon runs a creative and experiential agency called For All Humans, focusing on the growth and expansion of emerging and well-established brands through immersive events engaging activations, and comprehensive marketing campaigns that capture your spirit and convey your messaging while promoting community building and inclusivity. But personally, Barry has had a tumultuous life, like so many of us. It's that story that Barry shares with us today, and we are so honored. I give you the queer indigo, Barry Brandon. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is definitely a dream and an honor to be part of a collaborative community building experience where there's a whole slew of LGBTQIA humans on the continuum speaking on behalf of what they do and who they are, either offering their skill set or information or educational components. And I think this is just another sort of stepping, uh, you know, a sort of step in the amazing direction that our community globally is going and heading. Of course, we know that there's a million things that we could address that are not equal by any stance anywhere in the world. But the more that we just continue to build our community and build a global community and thrive together is how much faster we're going to get to the place and the space that we're achieving. I really wanted to just basically share my story um, and kind of express how I've got to where I am, the kind of the direction that I've headed with my life. And a lot of it was intentional and some of it was unintentional and kind of the merge between living as authentically as we can in the moment we can with, of course, taking into consideration that every day we're learning and growing. So we can't really claim to be authentic. We're sort of growing in our authenticity every day. Um, and when I was thinking about what I would share with you all, I really just wanted to take it to the bare minimum and just honestly share my my story. 
um, because I think that it is a perspective that is unique to me and also expresses and showcases how one could conceivably head in a direction of living as truthfully and authentically as they can and then also having um, re remaining in working with and in the community and also thus monetizing and creating a business from being a part of a community and helping it grow. So basically I was born with a heart condition. I had my first open heart surgery when I was two days old and thus I've had eight open heart surgeries. So I had them from two days old until I was 27. That was my eighth surgery. And I also had a bunch of procedures that coincided along the way with these heart surgeries. I had them in three different hospitals. So I had the first four at the University of Miami in Miami, which is where I was born in South Beach. I had the next three surgeries in Birmingham at the University of Birmingham, Alabama. And I had my last surgery at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And each of these surgeries, as I got to understand as I was getting older, they were experimental. Um, no one was really doing open heart surgeries on infants and newborns and babies. And it was new territory to figure out what would work. And at the same time, they also didn't have a name for the condition that I was birthed with, which was later diagnosed, like I think I want to say into my late, late teens or early 20s, uh, Schoen syndrome. And Schoen syndrome is pretty rare and it affects people a bit differently, but basically it affects a whole bunch of components of the heart and around the heart. So I have a metal aortic valve. I had my artery removed from my left arm during one of my surgeries where they stuck it elsewhere so that the blood would pump to my heart. And, um, you know, that's just the hand that I was dealt and what I was birthed with. So what I realized after my eighth open heart surgery is that I could finally sort of feel I don't know, like I could breathe, that I could inhale and exhale really comfortably, which I didn't even realize from before was necessarily something that I felt. And once I was like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to kind of be able to be healthy, I quickly um, moved to New York City and got a job, which I had worked some jobs before, but because of my condition of living sort of healthy and not healthy and back and forth, I kind of, I wasn't able to graduate high school. I didn't go to college. I didn't have a degree. I didn't have a specific skill set that I thought was of value in the world and struggled a lot with like, what does that mean? And how does someone like living with my condition sort of wind up surviving and thriving in a world where the world felt like it was passing by. So I was offered a job right before my eighth surgery in the hospitality industry working as a concierge and i moved from atlanta back to fort lauderdale for that job and i loved it and then i got sick and then i couldn't work but my insurance luckily covered my surgery and we can go on a whole tangent of health insurance but that's another topic for another person on another day um but i wound up being able to have my eighth open heart surgery which was extremely necessary or i would have passed away so after I had that surgery, I moved to New York. I always wanted to. And I transferred to work at a hotel called The London as a concierge. And I was making great money. And I was still finding that I was pretty tired, but I was able to work this job. But after about a year and a half or so, I sort of had this recollection that the amount of money that people were sort of passing across the desk so easily for me to just call and make a dinner reservation or to call and get them tickets to a show it just seemed out of scale and out of whack. It was like I, I had this really um, difficult sort of mental block between the acceptance and allowance of that, that ease of money 
being thrown for no reason versus what could be done with that money globally or in certain communities or I don't know, it just really made me feel icky. So I quit my job and I had no idea what I was going to do and I had no idea where I was going to go. And I wound up finding myself in Atlanta again for the second time. I had lived there a couple years before for a year. And I started, I was offered um, work in the nightlife community doing promotions. And this promoter who had been around for a long time, who turned into a, a marketing company, passed me off to a venue that he was overseeing for a Thursday night show. And he was like, you have the personality. I think you, you'll be great at this. I wanna give you Thursday nights. Here's what we'll pay you. Just make it magical and make it work. So I opted to curate this weekly event called Etc., where I worked with local LGBTQIA artists, and we had a DJ, and we put artwork in this beautiful venue. It was a free event. People could come in, drink, dance, look at art, purchase it, etc. And that was the beginning to my entrance of what now, 12 years later, it was sort of step-by-step. Step. It was like nightlife promoter, curator, some producing work, creative director, art director, and it just kind of kept growing. And I had some really amazing opportunities while it was all happening. And eventually I started my own agency because I really found that me being my own name, people were sort of, I don't know that they were taking advantage or I was allowing them to take advantage, but the money that was being offered to me through the work that I was doing felt like it wasn't of enough value to myself or the money just wasn't matching. And so I was living in, in Berlin at the time and moved over there after I obtained my Italian citizenship. And I woke up and had this dream the night before where the agency was called For All Humans and the intent was going to be to basically work with brands and campaigns and companies and have a queer perspective and not just be, um, you know, a lot of times brands will want to do these really cool events and activations or campaigns where they're working with diversity. But oftentimes the diversity is still this certain standard of beauty. And maybe there's like a white gay man and a black gay man, but they're muscly and there's still sort of this really cisgender idea of what beauty is and what gayness is and what our community is. And not that it's not, everyone's included in our continuum, of course. But I just kind of noticed that there wasn't sort of a spectrum and a continuum of representation in extreme diversity in a super inclusive way that felt authentic and organic for these brands to be speaking to their customers with. And at the same time, working in nightlife, I had so many connections to amazing queer talent that I wanted to sort of begin to merge the two, to work with brands and businesses and campaigns where I could pay queer talent what other talent was making to merge them into this world. So I started the business in 2017. And over the course of the last four years, have had growth along the way, working with amazing clients. And what happened intersectionally is that when I had been hosting these events and these parties and in the nightlife scene, I had always walked around in heels. It was just something that I did fairly often. And I would oftentimes walk to the beat of the music in different ways. And fast forward, well, I should give you context. So I produced a show called Sing For Your Life, which was sort of like watching American Idol live to the city of Atlanta. And the person who was on season one who wound up winning the show, her name is Josette, wound up becoming a mega TikTok influencer by accident and basically called me in like September of 2019 and said, you have to get on this platform. You need to do walk videos. You need to package them and present them in a way that like people will get, I'm telling you this platform will love what you do. 
So after the, and I'm kind of giving you an overview because I'd probably have to sit here for four hours to give you my whole life story. So we're minimizing. So within the kind of um, sort of with my heart condition that I was birthed with and through all of that growing that I did, finding self-value and self-worth despite not having a proper education and skill set that I thought was of value, um, climbing my way up in the creative world just from pure and simply my vision of the way that I saw the world and how I wanted to see the world and, and all of that to starting my agency, then this other component happened. And I didn't want to do it. I pushed back a lot. I was like, I'm too old for that. She was like, no, I promise you need to get on this app. So she came to Chicago where I was living at the time in October of 2019. She was doing what was then a mini TikTok tour before TikTok was big in the States. And she was going to different college campuses and wearing TikTok uh, hoodies and gear and just talking to people on the microphone. And she made me do a video with her where we walked in the park and I wasn't wearing heels. It was just me and a friend and her. And she posted it to my Instagram and it started getting all these views. So the next day I was with my friends and I was like, before we go to brunch, like we called the Uber, it was five minutes away. I was like, before we go, just everyone, we're just going to do a quick little walk video and post it. So I put together six second choreo to RuPaul's Sissy That Walk. And as we were sitting at lunch, um, or brunch rather, I hadn't turned the notifications off on my TikTok because quite frankly, I didn't really know how to use the app and I'm not great with technology. So we're sitting there and my phone is just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing like over and over. And every sort of five or 10 minutes, I'm glancing at it and I'm seeing that this video has 5,000 views, 10,000 views, 30,000 views, and it just kept climbing. Um, and so it was, it was crazy. And I was sitting with the people that I walk with my best friend, Jose, his husband, Levi, and our friend, Nicholas, and my friend, Megan, who was visiting, who filmed it. And so the next day I was like, okay, now we're going to wear stuff that we wear a lot when we're out at night, everybody wear all black. And we're going to do another little walk video and just see. So the next day before brunch, again, we put on our all black outfits and we filmed a video to Robin's do it again. And that video went globally viral. Um, so then fast forward to me being like, this is a thing. Let's keep making these videos. They're fun. There was still no specific intent. There was no sort of agenda behind them. It was just like us having fun making these videos. And what started happening like immediately, I mean, like three or four days in is my Instagram account began to grow because I was posting those videos to Instagram as well. And I started receiving DMs from people around the world, literally around the world. And they were saying things like, I've never seen this kind of visibility before. I've seen drag queens before, but I've never seen, you know, male bodied people in beards with heels walking femininely. Or I would hear from mothers that would say, we're showing our children your videos in hopes that toxic masculinity ideals and ideological viewpoints is removed from when they're two and three and four years old. I was receiving messages from... Uh, people in Africa and the Middle East that were saying that they were watching the videos because they can't even walk out of their house without feeling unsafe to be raped or murdered um, if expressing in a way that they wanted to or felt that they needed to or the way that they saw themselves. And there was a whole, a whole continuum of the types of messages that I was receiving. And at first, I was very taken aback by just the content of the messages in and of itself, um, praising me or validating me or sort of holding me on some kind of level for me just being myself. 
And I felt like it was unwarranted, undeserved, and all of that. And I spoke a lot with my closest friends for the coming weeks. And I was like, I really wanted to sort of figure this out, like how, why I'm feeling this way and where these messages, messages are coming from. And what the common consensus was is that I myself have certain privileges. I identify as agender and queer, but if you're looking at me, I present as a male-bodied person with dark features and a beard. And I could probably pass pretty much anywhere in the world that I wanted to. So there I am in this perceived body, walking with friends that are male, male-bodied people, queer men, gay men, etc. And everyone's adding femininity into this. And really, there's a whole visibility aspect here that I never really thought about because for me, my whole life was always just about First, it was survival of my surgeries. Then it was finding a way to more than survive, so thrive to a way where I utilized skills that I had inside of me and were not on paper. And then it was producing and promoting events and working with brands and campaigns to infuse the way that I wanted to see the world. And now it's become a social media thing where people are validating this visibility and the importance of it. And it took a bit for me to sort of feel comfortable with the allowance of the credit that they were giving, um, because I never in life want to feel that I'm above anyone. I always am part of a community. I'm very adamant that I return my messages and my DMs because I never want people to feel as though that I'm, you know, this celebrity who's unreachable. I always want to be someone like the truth of the matter is I'm just another community member like all of you. And I happen to make content that happens to go viral sometimes. Like that's the, that's it. You know, how I express and how I navigate the world and how I see the world is about community and equality, et cetera. So I had a bit of a struggle, but what wound up happening was that my sort of viewpoint of the importance of visibility, the importance of diversity, the importance of inclusion, slowly but surely over the course of my life became the very thing that allowed me to monetize and create now what is a career off of being myself and being visible and being out loud and talking about things that I have viewpoints on from gender identity to sexual orientation to the importance of queer culture to global issues to activism and all those things that I infuse into my social media because now there's a following there who wants to look and read and click on and find out um, what it is that I'm referring to. And so it's become that visibility has become the center of my life. And what I realized is I sort of always wanted that and strive for that to just be validated and not really validated. It's not that I'm seeking external validation, but I think what I was looking for was for people to see me and to see the value that I brought and to sort of um, remove a stigma that a person who doesn't have a high school diploma or a college degree or all of these other certifications that one would get were still valid and equal and important. And we still have meaning and we still have viewpoints and we can still express and, and brands and, and such that still work with us. Um, so it's been a journey to get to the place that I'm at. And at the end of the day, the visibility aspect is what has, I think, driven me here. And it's what has kept me going and growing. And now I find myself giving advice to 
when one asked for, not unsolicited, <laughs> I find myself giving advice to other influencers, other creatives, other queer people, just sharing my story and sharing those viewpoints of the ability to be able to carve out and flesh a career if that's what you're looking for, to coincide with your identity and your true self and your authentic expression, and finding a way to navigate the world in a way that makes you feel happy, comfortable, valid, and equal. And I also know that this is not the case for people in many countries where there are laws and rules and regulations that literally keep them from doing so. And in no way, shape, or form am I equipped to talk about the intricacies of how to navigate those worlds because I'm speaking from a place that I was born in Miami and I grew up there and then I lived in Atlanta and I lived in New York City and I've traveled to Los Angeles and San Francisco and I lived in Chicago and I lived in Berlin and I've been to most cities in Europe where um, you know, there, there might be constructs and social norms and sort of not on paper rules and regulations at this point um, for the treatment of gay and queer people, though, of course, it still happens everywhere. But I've been able to navigate comfort in my skin to just uh, be pretty fearless where I've been and show up how I wish and wear what I want. And, um, you know, so there are some privileges entailed in me speaking from this perspective of finding a way to navigate the world and carve out a piece and be visible, um, which I then leads me to my next point that I always try to insert and make, which is for us, and I'm saying us as anyone who is in a place of safety, who's able to express themselves in a way that they feel that they want and need to, and in a space of safety in order to navigate the world in that authentic, expressive manner, I always push for all of us to do that and do it, do it loudly and speak your opinions and wear what you want and show up as you need to and push back when you hear dialogue that's uncomfortable or racist or homophobic or transphobic or non-inclusive. Correct people about their language when it is purposely and intentfully hurtful and just to disrespect people of their pronouns and their identities. We people, we the ones in our community that are able to be loud and express, the more we do that, the more contagious it becomes. It becomes more contagious for other people who have fear of coming out and living their truth to be more visible and to approach the world from a different perspective. It puts pressure on communities that are oppressing marginalized groups to change their minds because there's social pressure to do so. It changes laws, it changes rules. It just changes the mindset of heteronormative people that are living a life in a very specific way because they're seeing there's other ways to express and to be. And instead of just speaking at people or down to people or educating in a way of factual information from what we read online to just kind of spewing it, our sense of self and our visibility and our showing up as ourselves is contagious. And that visibility will drive, I believe, true change in the world. It will continue to change the minds and lives of people who don't understand our community to understanding it. Uh, I think it will change the minds of people in positions of power to change their viewpoints and to change laws and rules. And I believe if we continue to be visible as a community globally, we will be the change that we want to see in the world because the more authentic that we live and the more free that we live, the more that people want to understand how they can get there and how they could achieve that as well. So I think it's important on 
for me, it's been an important thing personally for me to step into my true self or as true as I can be today with leaving room for myself to always continue to grow. It is what has allowed me to work with my clients and tell them no and push back when I feel that something isn't quite right for the community or if they're asking me to create something or content or whether it's through my agency, the work that I'm doing with a partnered brand, I feel really strongly about what needs to be included and how the communication needs to be and the way that the representation needs to be represented um, and allows me the ability to push back and make sure that those projects that I'm involved in are showing diversity and inclusion and visibility. And it also has allowed me to set my rate when clients reach out to me and when brands reach out and they want to work with me as a social media influencer through my Instagram and my TikTok channels where I'm like, I'll do this and it's this price and here's what you'll get. And I've strategically thought about how to express and communicate what your brand and your product or your campaign wants to speak about with what my audience would need to receive and also how I want to express creatively. It's allowed me to say no to brands and clients when I don't feel as though that it makes sense for either myself or the mission or the alignment or maybe their brand voice just doesn't feel inclusive. I'm able to say no thank you. And I must say that the visibility that I've received from social media has allowed and opened even more doors to opportunities coming my way to which then I'm then able to bring community members with me and include them and monetize and, and have them monetize off of the projects and, and just really be a part of things that I think are changing the world. Right? Well, first of all, this episode was brought to you by Pride and Joy Publishing and our flagship book, Thriving in Business, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Entrepreneur. 14 successful business leaders came together to create the book they wished they had at the beginning of their careers. Find it at www.queerbusinessbook.com. But back to the what's at hand. I hope you found as much value in Barry's talk as I did. It was an amazing way to start our Pride and Joy Summit last May, and I'm so grateful it's now available to you and the whole world to listen to. If someone in your life came to mind as you were listening to Barry's episode, and you think they might enjoy hearing from them as well, will you please share this episode with them? And remember that all show notes and links to Barry and everyone else can be found at www.outofcuriosity.com. I appreciate you, fam. Be good to yourselves.